Welcome everyone back to the shuttle pod. This is our first shuttle pod since we uh, stopped with the talking about Discovery season two. This is episode sixty-six. My name is Jared, and I'm here with my friend Brian. Hey, everybody. My friend Matt. Hey, guys. And and we are delighted to also have our friend Lori here with us too. Re Hello. Returning by popular demand. By popular demand. <laughs> One person. Yay. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, <laughs> stop it. Now, now this, this is episode 66 of the Shuttlepod, but counting episodes we've done specifically for Shuttlepod at the Disco and some other, uh, what do we call it, supplementals, mm -hmm. like when yeah, Star Trek Beyond there, came yeah. out or whatever. Uh, this is number 100 total. So we have hit our centennial. Congratulations to all, to all of us on our side and to you who have been with us listening. Yeah, this, yeah, is, this the, is huge. For Thanks those of you that have hung with us, we appreciate it. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Good we job, we guys. were we were just talking about this at the beginning. We you know this started with Brian and I were having a discussion at the Las Vegas convention a few years ago, and we and we wanted to do like a back and forth, a point counterpoint. And we said that'd ah, be a little too hard to write that up. Let's just record it, and then one thing led to another, and here we are at episode one hundred. Yep, yep. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And today is a special day for a variety of reasons. Lori, can, can you help us remember what are all the anniversaries that we have today for <laughs> May 23rd? Because <laughs> I have them we all have a stored. Few, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is the 25th anniversary of the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. It is the 18th anniversary of the series finale of Star Trek Voyager. And we have some celebrity birthdays as well. I'm not sure they're as relevant. <laughs> but it's Joan Collins' birthday, everybody. And you should care. Right, that's relevant, but damn it. It's, it's Joan Collins. It's and James Blish, although he's dead. Yes. But it's still his birthday. Wait, so uh, the great James Blish. Who's, who's James Blish? He wrote oh. all the adaptations oh, of the original Jared. series, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, you see, that's, some of that's us the hold thing. Mr. Some... Blish's adaptations in high regard. That's the thing. I think. I think. I think a lot of people don't know who that is anymore. You know, like no, I you know. don't I need know. to know. I'm his oh, I know he is. I'm just I'm saying. Like, for a lot of people, I don't know if they know the James Blish books. But what's actually really fun about them is that they are often written based on earlier scripts, and so they're off yes. sometimes. So they have scenes that didn't make it in. They have facts that changed, names that changed. Sometimes, occasionally, I think a different ending. Um, yeah. which, yep. which yep. makes All them that. really, really fun to read. Yep. Yeah. For people who don't know, yep. he, Blish was writing adaptations of the original series episodes. And what they're getting at is that he, of course, had to start writing these and adapting these into a literary form, you know, before they actually got them completed. So he got early script drafts. And so folks who maybe that's the first way they saw some, or they didn't actually see these episodes because they didn't catch them in syndication and they read them in this book. And then they saw them in syndication and they were like, wait, where's this whole scene? Wait, this mm, whole thing is yep. different. It happened. I mean, it, there's a lot of people that happened too in the seventies, especially. There's also the funny yep. thing, like as a kid who read those books 700 times, I thought I saw those scenes. And then oh, sure. I couldn't figure out why like nobody remembered that like, you know, uh, Lieutenant Palamas, was pregnant yeah. at the end of the James Wish one, yeah. and I actually right. was sure I'd seen it. But of I, course, I your, didn't. your mind fills it in. Yeah, you, of course. And then a cool thing is they actually found remnants of that scene, not much of it, but yeah, they found remnants, remnants of the it vault. Right. Yeah. for the Roddenberry vault, and it was like, aha, it exists. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, so I, anyway, I, I like how we just brush past the fact that 
both Voyager and TNG well, happened we'll, well, to we'll end circle on, back to that on exactly yes. the same the same day, um, and then we spent five minutes talking about <laughs> this very, somewhat random piece of trivia. And I'm well, sorry, you know, I didn't, Chucky's, I didn't read Chucky's the, love their random trivia. So. They do. I, I never read those. I did read the Alan Dean Foster adaptions of the animated series. And then oh, there yeah. you go. Those are, yep. very good those are also, yeah. 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 And, and I didn't realize that they were actually based on something. So when a, a year later or so when we were a blockbuster and we found the animated series and I, and uh-huh. I said, oh, what's this? And I kind of recognized some of the stories. Uh, that was an interesting surprise for me. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. A voyage of discovery. It is. It is. Well, you know, it was easier to discover stuff before you had all of human information available at your keystrokes. Uh, yeah, I yeah. remember. I remember the, the the exact experience about walking into Blockbuster and being like, "Wait, there's cartoon Star Trek two? That's awesome!" And being like, "All right, well, I'm renting those now." That's yeah. amazing. I, you know, I couldn't even find them. I mean, I was in Canada, so I don't. Th- I keep thinking I have no one to back me up, but I don't think they aired there because I would have found them. Uh, I think you're right. I think they did not air there. I don't think I they never, got picked up there. Yeah. Yes. I think so I correct. read those books, but I never saw the show, and then I didn't get to see it until years later when yeah, somebody yeah. bought yeah, me like a DVD set of the whole uh-huh. thing. Yeah, yeah. For a long time, it was out of circulation. Gene didn't like it, right, so right. It, it he kind of got withheld and really didn't surface publicly until the early nineties. I think it was the early nineties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then it was yeah. on VHS and stuff widely. But yep, yeah. yep, yep. Sort of. Yep. Okay, but but if that's if the animated series is the Star Wars holiday special of the Star Trek franchise, we're doing great. <laughs> That's uh, true. That's the true. Animated, that true. The animated series is perfectly watchable, and a couple of the episodes are actually magnificent. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But to bring it back to but to bring a, it important, <laughs> an important TNG anniversary, I think that dovetails yes, nicely yes, yes, with our it does. next bit of news. So. Okay, and so, Brian, <laughs> can you key up the next segment for us, please? <laughs> Because you could you key it up because you you just told me something that I'd missed today because I was traveling. There was a news item that that I had. It was big news. Oh, oh yeah. We're gonna, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, we finally got some actual footage from the upcoming Star Trek Picard series. Woo! Yes, and all of us, and I'm sure many of you out there, have watched it several times. Um, Jared, however, was <laughs> traveling today. And has not seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we thought it would be amusing since the trailer is only a minute long. Uh, Jared's going to watch the trailer and react to it in real time. Uh, we will. So this, and you'll see a lot of this kind of thing on YouTube channels where people will, yeah. will do live trailer reactions. I think it started when the Force Awakens trailer dropped. So this is, uh, uh, no wait, and then Kayla and I did one for Discovery Season 1 a couple years ago. But this this is new for the shuttle pod for us to do this kind of kind of live reaction, and presumably yeah, we probably won't do it too often, but <laughs> you no, know, probably not. Well, but you know, it's a minute long teaser, so it's pretty safe to do. It fits <laughs> in pretty well. Okay, so thank you everyone, thank you Brian for suggesting this, and everyone who's listening for indulging us. So and, and, yes, please indulge us, and and we'll play the 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 music along with it, so you'll be able to hear the actual trailer while I'm reacting to it, which I'm going to start right now. Oh, Fifteen well, a little Chateau ago. Picard for us there. You mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, out of the darkness. You Wait, is that? Washing his hands. 
what did that cost you? Your faith? No. Your faith in us? So th that was there's interesting some drones were like helping him doing his vintnering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like they're watering. Yeah, oh okay. I was wondering if it was some kind of futuristic what pesticide. Huh. Oh, Admiral, not Ambassador. I like that. Yep. Yep, yep. yep. that's one key thing. Oh, very nice. And they and it must have been easy to put together without actually having Picard there in the uh in the vineyard because yeah, they just need some old hands just, and just, yeah. a pair of boots. And, yeah. <laughs> just some his, old his, hands. Someone who's approximately <laughs> the same size as him. Ooh, yeah. the end is only the beginning on Amazon Prime Video. Well, um, this is quite exciting stuff. This is. Did you listen right till the end, Jared? Did I be did I listen to the end? Yeah. Oh, there's is there's that? there's a little bit of soundtrack. Oh, uh, Easter egg there too. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and that's worth the price of admission. With the Ruskin flute. Oh, exactly. Flu. Yep. Oh, I just got chills. That's spectacular. See, See they did a good Jared's job. for Clemped. Yeah. They yeah. did a good job. All is, all is right in the world. Thanks for reminding me that. I was so busy reacting in a non-manufactured way for an internet audience. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't listen to the very end of that. Oh, that's cute. Well, good. Well, um, exciting, quite exciting stuff, that is. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we're all up to speed, <laughs> what did we think? Well, that's very intriguing because the, the voiceover part is what's really, you know, since we don't get to see a lot, really, this voiceover is what's the most interesting part, really, is there's this reference to 15 years ago that he led some huge rescue armada, which, like, we don't know what, you know, like, okay. And then the unimaginable happens, kind of like, ooh, he seems like he left Starfleet. So that's the kind of key points. Oh, and then, of course, like we were mentioning here, that apparently he was Admiral, which is interesting because I think a lot of us expected him to be maybe Ambassador and not Cause that, Admiral. Because that's what Jordy says in All Good Things. Sure. Of course, All Good Things is just one possible future. Before. Yeah, that's just an that's a yeah, it's an alternate future. So it's very could very well just simply be a manufactured future for my Q. I mean, that's all it may be. True, but um, again, pulling on stuff that has like some at least minor amount of influence. Like if you go by Countdown, which of course is only sort of semi-official, they also yeah, made it in soft. Yeah, they also made it an ambassador there. So there's a bunch of stuff that kind of says, oh, maybe he's an ambassador. But all right, so apparently he let himself be promoted. He didn't take Kirk's advice he from didn't. generations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought about too. Yeah. I thought about that too. Don't let him promote you. Don't, Don't let him promote him you. you. Yep. Okay. Well, well, I guess he well, took that promotion. Because while you're there, you can make a difference. Yeah. Okay. So, well, maybe. But apparently, he did. Maybe Admiral Janeway said, "Hey, this is awesome. You, uh, you, you get better chairs, <laughs> right, <than> Admiral? <laughs> right. You get better chairs. Yeah. So, 15 years ago, if we just want to break that down for a little bit, that's interesting. So we know that the destruction of Romulus is a big deal um, that we saw, you know, in flashbacks in Star Trek 2009 that happened mm -hmm. in the prime timeline. And we know that's a big deal. That's in 2387. And we're pretty sure like Picard takes place in 2399, but we're not, that's not 100%. So that's not right. quite 15 years difference. So they're either rounding 
or Picard is just set a little later than we'd assumed or whatever. But that's about right to be referring to some yeah. kind of event around the Romulus like system. Well, or supernova. maybe maybe they pick 2399 because they're finally going to do their social commentary episode about the Y2K bug. <laughs> the Y3K <laughs> bug. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, so anyway, we think that's got to be. I mean, it just has to be something around, you know, the crazy stuff that went on with the Roman Empire, right? Because they even say it's a huge rescuer model, like the largest model in history to rescue oh, people. So it really seems like they're hinting at that. And it also seems to be almost like first person, maybe like a Romulan is perhaps saying this. Because it says 15 years ago today, you led us out of the darkness. Mm. And there's a lot of us yeah. words. I've been wondering so, who the narrator is yeah, supposed who, to be. Who is that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's very intriguing. Um, I, I, I don't know if I said it when I was reacting, but so I think unless they're trying to tie into Star Trek Into Darkness, which I really hope they're not doing, um, they're they not. maybe should have found a different word than darkness. For what? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, they also, by the way, they dropped the word faith at least twice, too. Yeah. So they, which goes back to the, they love that word, apparently, from Discovery Season 2. And apparently. Now, <laughs> Picard. Yeah. So, you know. It's hard to read too much into it. It's, it's pretty melodramatic, like whatever it is. So, sure. We'll see. But it's very intriguing. Intriguing. I like the setting. I'm good with the vineyard. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I kind think, I kinda think, I think we all kind of thought that was gonna some happen. part of this would take place there. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. had to do that. They had to do that. But it's a nice thing to be revealed on the 25th anniversary of All Good Things. Yeah. Yes. One, wonderful timing. Wonderful timing. It's, like it's like they planned it. but their their social media presence still isn't as good as trek movies because we recognize every birthday of anyone been in star trek including joan collins (laughs) well especially joan collins well especially joan collins today especially that's the only only woman who kirk ever really loved i think that's right did did he not love uh carol marcus he probably did but we never saw that for sure like we didn't see their Romance, really. Yeah. But we did see Edith Keeler. Yeah. Yeah. So we also, we got some some um, images of their uniforms that they're going to have, didn't we? Yeah. So last week, in the middle of the CBS Upfronts, which is this, you know, industry thing that every network does when they go to New York and they basically pitch their, like, next seasons of stuff to advertisers, right? So... They we knew something you know was going to come out of it, but we just figured it would just mostly be like this acknowledgement of the show. But like, um, they actually quickly threw together a very short, and we mean short. It's like five seconds <laughs> clip, if even yeah, maybe two uh, uh, clip that they had filmed um, on location at the Anaheim Convention Center. So this, by the way, is one of those cool things about them being back in L.A. is tons of people saw them. This happened with the Orville, too, because they're, they're in the L.A. area. Tons of people watched them film this on location and snapped photos. Mm. And it was like, this is so cool to like have this kind of, you know, intel back. You know, it's like yep. you, you can't hide. And that's actually OK. Like, it's cool that that happened. Um, so we got this little five second clip um, that was technically not available to the public but was described and then leaked but whatever but was described by the industry folks who were there and again it's very short so it's really clear what's going on and somebody snapped a photo of the screen so you can see this kind of like incredulous look on 
Picard's face because the little clip has this really young ensign basically asking Picard in the middle of Starfleet HQ, like, um, can I have your name, please, sir? Like he's checking into like HQ. And then Picard just Picard just goes, Really? You know, he just shoots him this like, really, son, you don't know my name? You know, Mm -hmm. look at him. And that made everybody go gaga last week. And so Mm -hmm. it was like, wow. And so thanks everyone being on location and it being out, you know, in public in Anaheim, people snapped a lot of photos of well, the uniforms they saw. So that was really cool because we could kind of see a little bit in that, um, you know, still image that people had snapped at the upfront conference, but couldn't really tell. So between those two things, though, our uh, talented friend Aaron Harvey put together a lovely infographic which lots and lots of people have seen but if you haven't it's on track movie check it out of the best sort of best guesses best effort of the uniforms the starfleet uniforms and i have a hunch though that we really won't see these very much because i don't think that's the emphasis of this show yeah my my hunch is he won't be in a uniform very much if at all i don't think at all because like this clip of him is definitely him in like a civilian blazer you know, yeah. very, by the way, the, the nice part about this clip from last week that was very encouraging is it was brightly lit and he was wearing stuff that totally fit with the kind of TNG um, civilian aesthetic that we'd seen in the TNG era. So, like, they actually tried. They didn't go too crazy, you know? And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means, it's a, which means it's a little retro technique because, you know, the TNG era is a little 90s, like, influence for sure in its civilian garb. But that's okay. That means it looks like it kind of fits and that's good. Like, that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think they learned their lesson. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, go go check that out on our, on our website on Trek Movie, and then and then yeah. apparently they've already started the the they've started filming. Uh, Han Ellie Culpepper, did I say her name right? Han Ellie. Yep. 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 She, she finished done, hers. She's done yeah. two episodes, and then Jonathan Frakes is doing his now. Yep. He's yep. up now, yep. and he posted a fun photo of like him and yeah. him and Patrick Stewart at a restaurant that. nearby or whatever. That was great, mm-hmm. kind of letting us know, okay, now it's my turn. Like I'm up, <laughs> so it's cool. That's it's underway. You know, it's yeah. it's, yep. it's going. Yeah, and as we were discussing earlier today, um, they are clearly working faster, I think, than the Discovery people were. I think they're I trying. Think. Yeah, yeah, and not because. One unit's better than the other. I think it's the production demands are different. Discovery requires, I think, a lot more coverage and a lot more. Yeah, my guess is pyrotechnics it's and a lot of just a lot of extra production demands. Fight choreography. This show, I think, is much more dialed down. Yeah, yeah. Everything and they've said so, implies that. Yeah, yeah, and they've said it's yeah. character based and all of that, so it's not. Mm-hmm. They're not running around a starship. Yeah, because Patrick Stewart's not going to be running around. No doing stuff like that maybe a little bit but not a lot of it so yeah it's going to be more of a character driven piece so i think they're probably getting through things quicker i i think so yeah so so that's good so, yeah it's no yeah. absolutely yeah. it's absolutely they'll give them plenty plenty of time to fine-tune the show because yeah. obviously we're not going to see it until the fall so yeah sometime yeah sometime in the end of 2019 i'm sure so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i know some people were it's funny some people were kind of worried like oh my god they're only they're going to start filming like in like may basically like is that enough time and it's like yeah, because this is a different show with a different style. There's also only ten episodes. They're shooting them in blocks. Like like each director is taking two episodes and just banging them out. It's 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 different. You know, it's a different thing. Yep. 
Yep. And they have all the way until the end of the year to deli- to start delivering. So they will. They'll totally. Right. They totally right. will. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a problem. They probably learned a lot of lessons on Discovery too. I sure. think so. They, sure. they have some sure. have some momentum. Yeah, so so, so that's where we are stuff. with uh, yeah the uniforms. Obviously, look TNG flavored. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of a mashup of all various 24th century uniforms we've seen. So right, kind of to be crowd crowd pleasing. I think it's, you the, know, the combat yeah. the combat is a little different than what we saw in All Good Things. But but kind of similar. Yeah. Now that's mostly conjecture because we couldn't see them very well. We could see oh, clearly. So, yeah. All right. So, but we do know that they like the split thing. The split little the split delta thing has become, I guess, a new kind of you know this this era's trademark. This new era of CBS Trek mm-hmm. because some of the photos that people have snapped from the convention center, so like people snap photos of like the plaques, you know, the, like Starfleet Command plaque that they like threw up in the convention center, and that still has a split delta like a stylized split delta so for whatever it's worth if you hate that sorry guess what that's being carried through as like a new just it's a design style <laughs> they're doing it so. it's fine there's nothing to. i don't think it's it. a big deal at all yeah. no i don't think it's a big deal at all <laughs> but you know somebody out there's like why are they splitting the delta you know <laughs> so <laughs> so quite quite exciting stuff and then and then to say it is to segue, unless anyone else has anything they want to say on the Picard show. Well, just that we probably won't hear much more until San Diego. Okay. Yeah. I mean, really, though, the nice part is that's like two months from now. So we'll, Yeah, that's we'll, not yeah, far yeah, away yeah. at all. Yeah. It's, yeah I'm yeah. sure we'll get a full, big trailer for Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah I'm and sure. And I'm sure Sir Patrick will be there. And oh, the they've, bit, they've got you know. to. Yeah, they've just got to. Yeah, and we'll, maybe we'll get something special for Vegas. Uh, let's hope. We'll that would be pretty cool. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he surprised us last year. So yeah. yeah, it was so cool to be there when they announced that because that was you know a, that was awesome. Him being in the room, it just he fills it with his presence, and people are so excited to have him there. To have someone yeah. who's a you know amazing actor and a legitimate star in his own right, who still loves the fandom and who has humility. That I mean, Patrick Stewart knows the reason. He's made virtually all the money he has is because of Star Trek, right? He knows that that's what gave him his career, the the kick beyond oh, no being a supporting character in Dune, right? <laughs> and um, and yeah. so there, there's there's a love in the air when he's there that's just wonderful to feel. And to have him come out and announce they were doing the Picard series was amazing. And from our perspective, because we were on, I guess we were stage left, and we could see LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes peering through the curtains. Yep. They were, and that was <laughs> yeah, that was cool. On stage right. And and yeah. that was really yep. cute to see that. And yep. a couple hours later, my brother texted me and said, Hey, did you hear this about the new Picard series? I just saw this article on Entertainment Weekly. And I texted him the picture back uh, of that I'd taken on my phone from when he announced it. And so that was that was a lot of fun. So we're all looking forward <laughs> to this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. And it really, it really seems like the episode that will inform this the most, based on what everyone says, is the family episode. So, if you, with him and his brother in France. So, if you're excited, want to fill in the time, go watch that episode. But if I if just there... watched it right before the podcast. Oh, great! Perfect. Yeah. It's one of my favorite TNG. Yeah, episodes it's it's a masterpiece. It. Yeah. Only episode without without data. I didn't always love it the first time. I mean, I didn't ever dislike it, but I, I have so much more appreciate. Like, I really enjoyed today's rewatch of it a lot. Oh, good. It's what so did, rich. What did you enjoy most, Lori? I mean, I, I, I confess I have a special love of Worf's parents, and that was a nice oh, bonus. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I love them. Delight. I love all those scenes. I love his face when he's just looking at them. But they're just very funny, and I like all that stuff. But, you know, the, the stuff between the two brothers with Picard and Robert was, uh, was mm-hmm. really intense and good, and I thought it was a lot to do in a short time, and they did it so well. Like, you've got mm, that yeah. whole relationship, the whole childhood, this big rivalry, this big explosion, and the moment when she comes in and they're covered in mud and drunk, yeah. it's just perfect. Yeah. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. Ron Moore, that's one of his best scripts. I love that Absolutely. script. Even the whole thing with the nephew, calling him uncle, and I mean, calling that's him cute. nephew, yeah. that whole yeah. thing is really cute, yeah. and it's the same um, actor who played yep. uh, shrunken young Picard. <laughs> In, yes. <laughs> yep. in That's right. A few years later. Years later. So yeah. My yeah. daughter walked in. She goes, "Is that the kid from Rascals?" I was like, "You go, <laughs> smart <laughs> kid." Uh, but yeah. that's that's really cute. Even and the way they do it so naturally, like he's walking down the path, and the kid just without saying a word just takes the bag off Picard's shoulder and just starts carrying it. Like there's all this mm. richness to it that happens in the loud moments and the quiet ones at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's really well articulated. I also think, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but that's the episode that retroactively made Best of Both Worlds Picard episodes because they're actually Riker episodes. But everyone remembers them as Picard episodes because if you look at that trilogy, I mean, that episode is all about him. That third part. Oh, yeah, very much so. And if there's another episode that I like that I would love to see explored more, it would be the seventh season classic Star Trek Lower Decks. <laughs> Smooth. Good segue. Graceless segues. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> so let's see. Who, who would like to volunteer some information we have about the Lower Decks series? Ah, uh, yes. I'll take it. So we found out earlier this month that not the writing is well underway to the point where they're actually doing their first table read for the, you know, for the animated show Lower Decks. That's really exciting. That means that, you know, something's really coming together. Um, and just as a reminder, the table read for a cartoon happens well before they animate it. So it's not like they have animation ready. They just have the scripts going, which is still something important. But people who think like they're going to crank this out tomorrow. No, it's no, not quite. But mm-hmm. Um, but they're getting there and then um, kind of snuck into the radar but like just the other day Mike McMahon who is you know the the showrunner right, head writer for lower well creator really of lower decks um, kind of just snuck out there on Twitter that two uh, he was making a joke basically about like two survivor cast members working in the writer's room for Lower Decks, but he wasn't really joking. There really are two people who have been on Survivor who are also TV comedy writers. Imagine that. Like, uh, working working with him, and it's kind of funny. So they posted a photo of themselves, like, working in the offices somewhere with a cutout of Data and being, like, kind of goofs next to a cutout of, you know, Standy of Data. And so now we know there's two writers, David Wright, who also worked on Family Guy a few years ago, and John Cochran, and they both, it's really kind of random, but they've both been on Survivor throughout, like, a few years ago, just separate seasons, like, not the same season, but they're also, but their main gig really is, like, writing TV TV comedy. <laughs> so yeah, they worked their before, way up. They had writer's yeah. assistant credits, at least one of them, if yeah. they both had writer's assistant credits, so these guys are, like, legit yeah. writers. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they obviously mm-hmm. were sort of trying to get onto Survivor to maybe get noticed, pay their dues a little, you know, like, it's, re- you can tell they were there for you know, like to get noticed, like it's a part of the game, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, 
So it's kind of funny. So here we go. We got two guys from Survivor who were both comedy writers hanging out with Mike McMahon writing Lower Decks. That's yep. kind of interesting. That's all we know still, but that's that's something, you know. That's fun. That's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I do want to point out, as I was telling everybody before we started recording, I am reading Mike McMahon's book that he released, I believe, last year. That is based on his Twitter account about the hypothetical eighth season of TNG. Yeah. Very tongue-in-cheek, obviously. It's a book called Warped, an engaging guide to the never-aired eighth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, as I was telling everybody earlier, I'm ten pages in, and I can't tell you how many times I've laughed and laughed hard. Really? Ten pages? That's it? Yeah. Wow. Ten pages. Yeah. That's, um, that's, it's that's written encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and it's written like an episode guide you might be familiar with, this, or particularly if, you know, like, say, Larry Nemechek's book or Alan Asherman's Star Trek books, where, you know, you get a summary of the plot, and then they'll do some fun behind-the-scenes information, and then mistakes, quote-unquote mistakes that were in the episode. And it's all done. It's a total farce, but it gives the whole thing kind of a, a, a funny kind of weight. Yeah, it, like legitimacy almost, like it's real. Yeah, yeah. It, they construct an entire thing around these silly little plots. Um, so I'm only 10 pages in it might go downhill from here but I kind of <laughs> doubt it so um, if you're looking to get uh, an idea of what Mike McMahon's capable of as far as comedy goes I would recommend checking it out I am going to be writing a review for Trick Movie about it when I finish the book but that's an early very early reaction oh well it. that's a I, pretty I, glowing endorsement I recommend it I recommend it if it's if it's if it's half if the show is half as funny as the ten pages I've read we're in for a treat. <laughs> that's good, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, great. that's an endorsement right there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yep. I am gonna say that I hope that they also add some female writers. Uh yes, I hope so too. And that some, is that is a definite problem. Not all white writers because that's a right. historical Star Trek thing, and it would be nice. It is to see that get changed. It is, um, yeah, it is, and, and like Rick and Morty has been pre- has been pretty dude heavy. Although they have added women writers in some of the later seasons, so I can only hope that he's sort of taken that lesson and been like, okay, well, you know, anybody who's funny and yes. kind of gets yeah, sure. who gets sci-fi can write for this. So like, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of people out there. But, but the know? thing that Rick and Morty really needs to add is any writer who is not a self-loathing nihilist. That's <laughs> that's really what that show needs. Or maybe not. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. They're cranking him out. That's the other thing. Is Becca Man is a busy guy. He's also sitting in the writer's room he is. for the new season of Rick and Morty that they're starting to crank yeah. out. So you know what? that's yeah. crazy. I actually know who they should hire, which is funny, but I just finished a book. I'll be quick about this. By Nell Scovell, which was recommended to me by a friend on Twitter who's a big Star Trek fan. She's a big Star Trek fan, but she's written for Murphy Brown and Letterman and written jokes for Obama and she's had this huge career and she's actually been a showrunner too but she's oh, really wow. really funny she's and and her jokes are hilarious and I feel like and she would love Star Trek and has okay, like a so, raunchy sense of humor so you so, gotta go like tell Mike McMahon on Twitter <laughs> you got someone to add to the writers yeah <laughs> I feel like she, I just finished her book and I was laughing reading her book which was just a story of her time you know as a writer uh, so now mm-hmm. yeah now that's I th- that's the person I think that they should hire I've decided. That's, that's good. <laughs> cool. Get on that, Laura. Yeah. Start campaigning. Let's go. Yeah, seriously. 
Come up with a hashtag <laughs> that no one will ever use. I mean, nah. she brings up Star Trek quite a few times in the book, and she never had anything awesome. to do with it professionally. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Okay, right, I'll give then. Neil, Neil the shout out for recommending Trek, the book. See people's Star Trek can be funny. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much so. As we discussed in our We've own discussed, episodes. We've discussed, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Good yeah. It is. There's nothing wrong with having a little fun with it. No. Exactly. But anywho, uh, while it's been great to have those news items to discuss, there's another news item that really we wanted to make the bulk of this of this podcast, which is an overview of the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, which all of us have watched. And I don't know if, if any of you listening have heard it, but it, uh, hopefully we're not going to spoil anything. If you want to wait till after you've seen it, you can come back to this part of the podcast. But if you just want a little taste of what you have in store in a, in a fun documentary, then we'll do that too. So let's get into that part of the discussion. Why don't we, we open it up and I can ask everybody what their general reactions were to the documentary. And let's let's go in alphabetical order. So, uh, Brian, what did you think of the Deep Space Nine documentary? <laughs> to put you on the hot spot. Okay. 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 Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it's a little awkward in a couple of spots, but, you know, when you're doing an hour and a half, it's you're probably going to have a few, you know, clunky moments. It's a valentine to the show. It is doesn't try to hide it. It is very much about celebrating the show and kind of taking a victory lap because DS9 was the redheaded stepchild mm-hmm. when, yeah. it, when it was on the air. It, throughout its entire time on the air, it was like that. And it was always kind of regarded in this kind of... I guess to, to the studio and to, to Rick Berman, maybe it was kind of this, this disappointing thing that they never quite got their handle their their arms around completely. And you know, much like the original series, DS Nine has kind of just grown over time, and more and more people have gotten a chance to watch it and appreciate it. And and that's what this is really about. It's about the trials and tribulations of what they went through then, and then watching it grow and transform into what it is now. So it, it, it's a lovely, it, it was a lovely uh, celebration. And seeing the HD footage yep. of, God, of the series. My, so nice. my jaw like, it's like Yeah, it's like, a, it's like watching, you know, TNG for the first time on Blu-ray. It was, it's just... It's breathtaking. It, it, it's an entirely different experience. Yeah. It looks absolutely so, beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen it yet out there, uh, make a point of finding it. It's well worth your time. Great. Okay, uh, uh, Lori, I guess you're next. Alphabetical. Um, <laughs> Brian, did it, that was a great description. I mean, I also loved it. I went to see it in the theater. I'm a backer, so I could have streamed it before that. And I decided to wait and see it with A, on a big screen, and B, with a crowd. And I seeing it with a crowd was great because everybody was excited. Everybody laughed out loud together. Um, everybody was really excited every time a new face came on. So that was really nice. But I thought it's absolutely a love letter. Yes, there, you know, there are definitely awkward moments, but lots of fun moments, things I didn't think I would enjoy as much. I did like when they're singing, <laughs> I didn't expect to be as amused as I was. And that was really nice. And I loved okay, so, the mm, whole, oh, sorry. What? Because for me, that was the awkward moment when they're singing. And I, when you said awkward <laughs> moments, I assume you meant that. So that's kind of interesting that we had different reactions. I'm delighted to hear you enjoyed it. Anyway, sorry I to was, interrupt you. I just That's okay. I was surprised to enjoy it because if you said that was in it, I would go, 
okay. But then I actually yeah. enjoyed it. And part of that could have been the crowd. I was with a gro- group of people and we we're all laughing and having a good time. And that was really nice. But I actually thought it was clever and funny. So I liked all that. I loved all the Garrick and Bashir discussion. I thought it was great and funny. I loved the uh, writer's room stuff. I found fascinating yes. and really yeah, enjoyable yeah. to that watch. Was awesome. And to, like to me, the awkward moments were, you know, when Ira, who I thought was a great, I mean, it's great that he put this together and great that he's hosting it because you get his point of view. But he has these acty moments that, yes. you know, get yeah. a little, yep. a little awkward. And that's why, like, yeah. near the end, yeah. they get in a visitor and they like, help and bring it to the next level, which she successfully does. Um, but it's it was actually fun because it is a love letter to the show. He loved the show. Uh, we all loved it. So you, mm-hmm. you can you can forgive that and just recognize and recognize it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks for uh, sharing that, Matt. What what well, were your general reactions to it? Yeah, it's hard to beat what these guys just said, but again, yeah, it's just clearly like a love letter to, um, you know, the show, and then you can see that it that the scope of the documentary changed, um, and it became also about you know celebrating the fact that Deep Space Nine has had a renaissance of sorts, you know, and the fans now really appreciate it. And I think that's really cool because they kind of had sort of two scopes to the documentary, right? Like wanted to talk about sort of how it's appreciated now and also what it was like to make it back then. And I enjoyed that a lot. But um, on the awkward thing, I wanted to say there's a couple of things. The The singing part is, is interesting because I, I thought that at a certain point they almost went a little too inside, you know, fandom and documentary f- for some of these things. Like you would have to really, that's awkward unless the way I think of it is, unless you went to Star Trek Las Vegas a lot, you wouldn't know that those guys do that. Every yeah, year. yeah, yeah, it is. It, and, yeah. And so if you've never tuxedo. been to S- yeah, so if you've never been to STLV, you don't know if those guys like have like a whole, you know, crooning thing that they do. And you'd be like, why are the guy who plays Garrick and, you know, whatever, why are they, not Garrick, but you know, why are those guys like singing, you know? Well, here's the funny part is I've never, sadly, I hate to say it, I've never been to STLV. I'm very sad mm. I'm not going to make it this year because um, I was determined to. But I knew that they did that. And I remember thinking, oi, who would go to that? And <laughs> and and then when I saw it in that film, I actually it was, a fun was show. quite I, entertained. It. Yeah, I was yeah, very it's entertaining. entertained. I just mean that like yeah. you would, I mean, I, I, but I could see a more casual fan like, being like the hell is this and like why is this here because it's it's almost like you have to be a pretty deep like fandom you know pretty deep into the fandom to kind of get it um like i enjoyed it i enjoyed it too but but more than again more than i thought i would right Um, but uh (laughs) but again i just feel like if you put yourself in like someone who's a more casual fan because i try to think about this like as a reviewer too which is like if i was a more casual fan would this sort of lose me and i think it might i think i might be like why are they doing that um, Especially other, right at the beginning. Yeah, my other nitpick of sorts is, with with this is that they didn't really organically use the cool re-rendered sacrifice of the angels battle. They again, this goes almost like you had to know. So I'm a backer too, and of course, like working for Check Movie, we've been writing about it a lot, so I've been following its progress. So like, I know exactly why they like tease the battle and then we're like wait 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 this is the wrong place for tihi and like stopped and like moved it to somewhere else and stuff but it's very like oh it's very like self-conscious of like them as a documentary 
and it's oh, yeah. and it's not all that useful if you were if you did not follow like the progress of this documentary like if you weren't a backer and like didn't follow it you'd be like why the hell are they doing that why didn't yeah. they just show yeah. it good insight and and as 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 it is it still has no organic place they literally like break the fourth wall and like andy calls ira and is like it's time now to show the thing and they do and it's like well come on you guys there could have been a great way to organically work that in and instead they're like yeah. did, did you they got cute about yeah it. they got really cute about it. And they're like did you know you guys who crowdfunded this you paid for this to be re-rendered did you know here it is and it's like yes that's really cool and it's it is very awesome but like it has no organic place in the documentary and that kind of irked me because i thought that they could do better with that it's 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 a nit, it's a minor nitpick really but i was just like oh you guys you can do you could do better with that like so so you've just articulated what was my concern about this documentary following the news about it was that you had people who this was their life doing this making the documentary and and yeah. there's there's no way you can do that that wouldn't be indulgent and self-aggrandizing right because Although they try really hard not to be. They That's do. The and, and the cleverest thing that they do is they have different members of the cast read hate mail against Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine periodically mm-hmm. throughout yeah. the documentary as a way to kind of to add some humor and to take the, the wind, what's the expression, air out of the balloon or whatever so they, so they don't get too full of themselves. Wind out of their Thank sails. You. There yeah. we go. Wind out of their sails. That's a better nautical term for Star Trek anyway. Um, <laughs> Indeed. So... So I uh, that was really clever that they did that because yes. of, I you have to figure they were talking and said we can't be too we can't be patting ourselves on the back no. too much. What, what you what can imagine, can Ira do. Ira was isn't like that as a person. I'm sure he was like we we have to temper this because I don't want to be seen that way. You know, like everything about Ira mm-hmm. Bear is like it, he he wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. very self-deprecating in a sense sure like, but but it's impossible to avoid it and so the fact that oh they, of course because it's the, a documentary yeah, yeah. so so the it's a, they're make he's making a documentary about his baby basically right, right? yeah yeah so so one of one the, the funniest moment i thought was the actor who played nog aaron eisenberg is reading some hate mail and he said yeah. and he says your tv show is terrible it's basically just a rip off of babylon 5 and that wasn't really yeah. good and he's, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time I was watching it, I was wondering, are they going to, they have to mention that other show about the size space station. And that was a funny way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just throw it in there a little bit. Yeah. Now the, the, yeah, I, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, Brian. No, I just wanted to say one more thing as anybody who has been, as Matt will tell you too, from following the, the documentary's progress, this thing kind of took a long time to gestate boy did it It expanded in scope mm-hmm. quite a few times mm-hmm. and i think all of us at one point or another were kind of concerned that it was falling project to what is called scope creep oh yeah oh, okay <laughs> where yeah. okay where yeah. where you you kind of get a little too big for the project and you start to lose your central central focus so when i sat down to watch this i was expecting it to be unwieldy in spots and awkward but it wasn't no, it's yeah. They actually did a pretty like good I job. Like I said, it's got its awkward moments, yeah. but it's not. They're not like huge tonal shifts or like yes, thank goodness, wedging something something in there just because somebody paid for it or something like that. Nothing is like that. Yeah, it more it more or less has a nice flow, and so I'm, I was very happy to see that because it could have very easily gone off the rails. And, yeah, and, because and, yeah, yeah, this is well, just real quick. Yeah, I mean to to track how long this has been taking. Some of this stuff that they were shooting 
goes all the way back to 2014. So they were basically yeah. filming from like 2014 to 2017-ish, like off and on. So that's a lot of stuff and like actually quite a span of time to work in, to work through things and work sort of back through things. Mm-hmm. So the entire yeah. writer's room thing was shot in 2014. So that that's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> and of course, as, as, as we know, that's pre-discovery and they talk about things like Section 31 and that you know they there's no context to sort of compare to discovery so right it's interesting it's very interesting that like that one was so long ago that it would be interesting it's a different era yeah it would be interesting to see what they say now in this new you know in light of the new cbs tv oh, yeah yeah things. yeah mm-hmm. because they, they talk about how they were maybe a little sore about the kelvin Bruce right. doing stuff with section 31 what right. do you think what do you think he thinks about what cbs has done with it yeah exactly like yeah. that's another really great part about the writer's room thing is it's pretty unfiltered because it was pretty much just like a camera set in front of these guys yeah who are all comfortable with each other who are all pros mm. you know hashing out some ideas for what the beginning of like this hypothetical season eight that's 20 years later would be like and you know it's people who know their shit it's people like ron d moore and ira bear and robert hewitt wolf who is a very like no nonsense but also like interesting dude in his own right who has a lot to say about stuff and so like they're just all sitting there like you know just putting it together and not afraid to say stuff (laughs) i love just watching them go i thought it was such a good learning experience too if you you know to imagine a writer's room and imagine and see how people collaboratively come up with ideas because that's what makes tv so different from so many other forms is that it's it's collaborative collaboratively done and everyone's throwing out ideas and oh we did that scrap that okay and writing things down and i just i thought it was really fascinating and while i i love all those writers and i they were so fascinating to watch it still again was a reminder that it was just a whole bunch of white guys and i I mean i know like it's still like that a lot now and it was definitely almost always like that in the past but it's and and i don't want to take away from them because they truly are great writers and watching them was a lot of fun but it just reminds me like we got it we still got a long way to go yeah So, but again, not to detract from it, because it was, it was, as a writer, I found that whole thing fascinating, and it made me like all of those guys even more than I already did. Yeah, for sure. And I think, and I think the uh, Blu-ray is going to have a much more extended sequence. That's, that's what they promise. That's what they promise, yeah, is they intend to have a a bigger, longer, so you can really see them hash stuff out, which would be cool. I would definitely give it a watch. The the thing that I wanted to, to... to see them do is is they they mention all these things about what would happen in a season eight that happened 20 years after season seven and kira has become a priestess and at some point i wanted to hear that morn who we never heard speak on screen but who ostensibly had a really you know was a real chatterbox that he had joined the bajoran religion and had taken a vow of silence Uh, oh finally that would have been finally that's that's what it'd take to shut him up you know i thought right that that would have been a cute little that would have been a hoot yeah Yeah. they should have done that yeah that's good thank you thank you that's really good um okay so and and there's a lot in this in this to un to unpack i don't know how much time we have here in the podcast but we do have to mention that there's a glaring hole in this that couldn't be filled because there there's no original footage or interviews with Avery Brooks. 
Well, now, to be fair... Per his wishes. That's per his wishes. He of was course. actually involved in the production. He and Ira made phone calls. They traded notes about it. Avery just has felt that he's said all that he wants to say mm-hmm. about Star Trek. So that he gave us permission, you know, to, to use archival interviews. They went and secured, you know, they went and secured rights from, like, creation to use some pre- previous STLV footage and things mm-hmm. like that. So he was involved just off, you know, off to the side, which is a bummer. But I um, would I would say they, given that they had that to work with, I think they did a good job of making him very much a presence because he's such an important sure. yeah. part of that show. Now, it, it's it's funny when you talk about a whole, I actually thought you were going to say there is one person who you literally can't fill because unfortunately he's no longer with us. Oh, Michael which Piller? Is, which is Michael Piller. Sure. Yeah. And I actually was surprised at how little they, they talked about Me him. Me too. Because yeah. Me too. he's a huge, especially early on, he was a huge influence in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He's also Ira's mentor. Right. He was Ira's mentor. And um, you know, I think Michael Pillar was was more of a you know, kind of a quieter behind the scenes guy. Like he was not the guy out front giving interviews, that was Rick Berman, right? If if it was right. anyone from that team. And so I don't think there is a lot of archival stuff with him for that reason. So they can't really do a lot, but I wish that they had touched on it and I mean his his wife will gladly talk to you about her experiences with with him and from that time period because Sandra Pillar has been to conventions and talked about yeah, she has. So I don't understand why Sandra wasn't interviewed and actually maybe she was and it didn't make the cut. That's, that's one of the other kind of really bummers about this is we know there's so much more stuff that oh, they sure. have that they had to cut. And I really wish that they had maybe made it a full two hours because they made it under two hours and not by a lot, but I think it's 10 minutes under two hours. Mm. I would have loved to have that extra 10 minutes for some of the stuff that we know ended up on the cutting room floor. So I really can't wait for the home video releases because they plan to put a, a lot of that stuff out as, yeah. as bonus. Yeah, content. I'm looking forward yeah, to I it. Yeah, I can't wait yeah. to see all that stuff too. There's There was a whole section with Frakes, Jonathan yeah, Frakes, with Frakes at the end. that they teased. That they, Well, and they teased it during the crowd oh, like during the crowdfunding like too. Yeah. Right, during the payoff in the garage or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so they, yeah, that's right. So they tease yeah. it during the crowdfunding stuff and then of course he's at the during the end credits and it was like oh where is that come on that must have been frakes is a hilarious like just character anyway like he's awesome so that would have been great so anyway there's a lot of stuff that i want to see that wasn't even here i you know it's like oh man would love to see more of it that and that's how cool this is in a way is you want more so at least there's that (laughs) but anyway what they did is pretty tight though i will say what they have is pretty tight and uh, pretty satisfactory documentary especially since they juggle so many things because they have interviews with the different cast members they have the writer's room where they're doing the season eight they have clips from the different shows and then they they also have like little testimonials from uh different fans which they've recorded yeah and that was another thing i was slightly disappointed by is they seem to have like the five five fans that they kept using they recorded a ton of testimonials they were having they were having people send them in. They were doing them on the floor of STLV 2017. I remember they did a lot of them. They did, in lo- STLV. They did a lot oh, of yeah. them there. Um, and the one thing this is funny. Like the one thing to nitpick about that is they had so many of them. I was really expecting to do. This is such a classic like documentary thing to do. Um, and I it's almost cliche, but I totally expect it, and it's kind of fun. Is to do the thing where like they start showing one person's like you know confessional that they called them and then it's like this you know the screen splits into four and then eight and then whatever and you pull back and eventually it's 
a um it's a mosaic like of say deep space nine itself with tons of little Mm. people you know like just it pulls back and back and back to show how popular it is now you know what i mean because they kept going on about how people refound the show and then they showed like the same five people kind of discussing it it really was i think i I think they cut between the same like four or five people you know confessional yeah picking the same people and it kind of bummed me out that that hadn't occurred to me but you're right now that you mentioned that it, yeah. And, and, and do, I think, you, do, do you think it would have been better to have just not included that at all? So there would have been more time for some of the like, possibly the as, stuff you as mentioned? Much as, oh. as much as that sucks, maybe that should have gone. But of course, they needed that because that was part of the crowdfunding stuff. Yeah, that yeah, was part yeah, of you it. Need, all. You just, yeah. I mean, that was fans part of are this. what drove this. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. That was part of this, is fans are finding this now. So they need to honor them. So yeah. And, uh, yep. yeah. and I thought the balance of how much of that there was was right. Like overall. Oh sure, I don't think I it should that, have been too much was, of it. Yeah, yeah, it was just the yeah. right. It was, yeah. They didn't go overboard with it. I don't no. think so. No, 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 no. It was tastefully done. I think. Yeah. I also like they they talked to people and something that's been common in Trek is they talked to people who went into engineering or science because of their fandom, right. but then they also talked to people who entered the armed forces because of their Star Trek fandom, and so yes. it's kind of yeah. nice to have yeah. that, that nice was great. spectrum because of different, of course, different uh, walks of life. Yeah. Because the girls really like of of all Trek that like which one actually had the the most realistic sort of depictions of like battle. Well, that's Deep Space Nine, you know, sure. Lo- mm, loss, yeah. loss, and I mean the whole you know Nog's whole arc, of course, is like huge for that. Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting how much they talk about Nog, who started off as just uh, an extra in the pilot, but then who grew into this. Uh, great character in in what is irrefutably the deepest bench of any installment of the franchise oh yeah yes absolutely yeah. oh my goodness a, tr- a true ensemble show like that's yeah. never yeah. never before since yeah. yeah yeah pound for pound the best star trek cast yeah. yeah yeah and and i do i do want to say to go back to talking to avery brooks a little it, it mm-hmm. was nice to see the amount that we have of them as have a previous interviews with him it was nice to hear people, particularly Sarah Lofton, talk about him. Something that oh, yeah. is interesting is they talk about the different phases of Captain Sisko, where first he had a, a head of hair, then he had a hair and a beard, mm-hmm. and then he was bald and a beard. Yep. And, and they, they kind of talked about because that's how he was when he was on Spencer for Hire, was he was shaved head with the beard, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Hawk. Yep. Hawk, and that's, exactly. that's Avery Brooks' preferred look in real life, you know? That's well, and, he, he, likes, and so. he looks pretty good that way. So He it, looks good that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does, yeah. So. And something that occurred to me when I was a kid watching when it was introduced is I thought the first season, and, and this, of course, has a different meaning now, but I thought they really wanted him to feel like Bill Cosby from The Cosby Show, right? With his hair and with his demeanor. They wanted him to be that kind of friendly Bill Cosby-type figure. And yeah, yeah. when they when the audience was comfortable enough with that and they could go to his, his, his hawk look, that's really when I think the show took off. And and it's it he's you can tell he enjoys how much how much more um, intimidating he is when he looks like that. And there's even an episode of the seventh season where Worf is giving Ezri problems, and he says, "Okay, well I'll go talk to him for you." And she says, "Don't talk to him. You intimidate him." And he says, "I intimidate Worf." And she's like, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't say that. That was a secret. I wasn't supposed to say that." <laughs> and you can tell, you know, and Cisco he he plays it so well. Like Cisco's kind of happy that the toughest guy on the on the ship is a little bit afraid of him. 
Yeah. Because mm. yeah. something I love about the Captain Cisco character is, you know, he's very down to earth and he invites people to baseball games and, and, and he makes and he makes uh, Creole food and all this stuff. But he's he's got a, a really um, magnified opinion of himself because he's used to, com- to, to contesting wills with superhuman beings, right? And there's this great episode where uh, Eddington, the Maquis guy, betrays him, and he's on the holodeck like oh, yeah. boxing or something, and he's so pissed off. And he says, this was just a man who beat me. This wasn't a guy who's lived... This wasn't a creature who's lived seven lifetimes. This wasn't a shapeshifter. This wasn't a prophet. This was just a man who beat me, right? And, yep, and yep. Th- that's the one time where, where, where like a human was able to get under his skin. And, mm. and then that, in my mind, kind of sets up and, you know, this may be something they could have talked about more if he'd actually been there. That kind of sets up how sore Cisco is in in um, taking me out to the hollow suite where he lost the wrestling match to the Vulcan, right? This is a guy who's not loose to, used to losing, so when he does, he t- it hits him really hard. Anyway, so all that from a discussion of Avery Brooks's hair, but he's a great character. <laughs> I, I, I love Captain Cisco. Uh, the second time I ever met Kayla, Kayla, if you're listening, we're sad you're not here. Is we were we were on a panel of who the best captain was. She was uh, defending Janeway, and I was defending Cisco. Huh. And oh, yeah. that's right. I couldn't be there for that. Yeah, you so were plane landed a couple hours later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, one of my favorite things about Cisco, and I have a feeling, Jared, that you and I probably love opposite things about Deep Space Nine in general. Oh, great. Um, yeah. I'm <laughs> guessing, which is funny. Um, and valid, of course. Uh, but I, I always loved him as a father, and I always loved his relationship with Jake, and I was really glad to see they talked oh, yeah. about that so much. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because oh, it's, I, it's, it was, it's a big deal. It's a yeah. really big deal, and it was great to watch, and it was so realistic and so natural. I, oh, yeah. 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 Well, and then, yeah. And then when you hear, I mean, when you hear Sarek saying that he literally, like, went with Avery's own kids and, like, was treated like a member of his family, like... That all makes sense. Like you can see that on the screen, you know. Like, yeah, it's, amazing. it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And and Sirik as a kid actor w- was never uncomfortable to watch, right? He's, no, he which is so rare. No, he was good. Which so is so rare. rare about kid actors. So yeah. rare. Yeah. Yeah. Even even from the pilot, he's he's good. Yeah, yeah. he was great right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's yep. a cliche, but we saw him grow up and up and up and up and up. And at no point did he have like an awkward phase. They, they, they you could, his his costumes always look great. I mean, he doesn't have like a season one Wesley dorky outfit with the weird <laughs> rainbow no, epaulets that no one. He can. had some. He had some dorky outfits. Yeah, early uh, uh, on they gave him like jumpers that were pretty. Yeah, dorky. like he's okay. weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had some some really silly ones. But that's that's all right. Yeah, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he himself was never like super gawky or like awkward. It's pretty amazing. Like. That he got through his teenage years on screen that way, yeah. honestly. Yeah, yeah, some some people never go through that awkward phase. Yeah. So some of the blessed people oh. out there. <laughs> blessed through. people, I know. Who jealous. are these people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, no, but really, it's it really is a testament that like I I love and believe that they're father. You know that they're father and son. It's totally believable. Yep. The way that he comes in and you know just hugs him or like gives him a little kiss on the forehead and stuff like he'll just come home he's like late from some meeting you know it's just it's just so great because yeah. you don't you you, ought, you don't see a lot of men be tender with kids anyway especially uh-huh. beyond a certain age i always say and the last show that i really remember seeing that on a lot was the dick van dyke show and that was a really long time ago 
Wow, yeah, that's all. That's yeah, that's that a huge was, gap. But he was physical. <laughs> he was physical with his son. He'd put his hand on his head and he'd hug him and grab him and they'd play. And I feel like you know, by the time he got to the Brady Bunch, I mean, he never touched those children. No, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's true. That's true. Mike Brady was a very hands-off kind of a dad. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah. That's true. Like like loving, but not physical. And so I loved right. all the physical stuff, like with with sister. Yeah. He just he just put his hand on his head sometimes. Yeah, like it was. And, and I'm a parent, and these are the things that I do. I walk past and I just put my hand on my son's head for just a second and keep going <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's it's a, ten, a very natural tenderness and you notice it and i think it's great to yeah. see that behavior on screen absolutely yep. yeah very great and on star trek you, ge- you generally don't see much of an ongoing family dynamic anyway. no right? not yeah. at all not at all whereas on, the, on this show not only do you have do you have um, the Cisco's, and then of course later they get joined by Cassidy? But you also have Rom and Nog, and Lita and Quark. Um, you have the O'Briens, and so it's yep. it's. I think the fact that it's stationary was an advantage in that regard because it's not who is Captain Kirk wooing this week. It, it's who are the long term relationships that people are a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and there's there's no way we can talk about everything in here, but I did want to ask you, Lori, to talk a little bit. They there's a section where they talk about Kira and Dax as female characters. I wanted to get your reaction to that sequence. I mean, I'm I'm trying to remember specifically that sequence, which because I I mean I I always think about them as female characters in that show, yeah, and how important they were to me. I mean, the funny part for me was talking about how at the beginning Terry kept saying to them I guess that she didn't know what she was doing and, she, and I've read interviews with her too that she was so insecure about it and to me watching I was like I, she I thought she got it, it right away, away. Yeah. like I yeah. got that there was this young woman who had this 300 year old creature inside her and I thought she played it all really well and and the thing with with Nana is that the more I was saying this before like the, uh, the more I see her on screen just giving interviews and being herself the more I like her every single time like I think she has so much to say and she talks about how that character had certain male qualities that she felt but that didn't take mm-hmm. away from the way that she was mm-hmm. a woman which i agree with a hundred percent oh yeah absolutely it, well mm-hmm. and and the character also in her physical appearance becomes more feminine from beginning to end because in the pilot she has that very very stark really short haircut and the huge sort of it came from the 80s shoulder pads and then <laughs> her hair pro- progressively gets longer and and then i think i wish they'd mentioned it and you know there's there's only so much time i think where she really sings is as the uh intended character from the mirror universe you can tell she's just loving sinking her teeth oh, she's having a blast in, yeah. In, oh, yeah. In that, no question. you know over the top villain right she just loves it and and the cat-like way she walks everywhere um but is still in charge of everything it's just uh wonderful to, to see those episodes yeah, it's great, great acting on her part. And I, although I will say that I think her character over time on the show, I thought they actually softened her up too much for my okay. Okay. taste. Like by the end of the series, to me, they had taken her almost like I still I didn't get enough of the harshness that the edgy stuff that I liked a lot. But that's well, just I mean, when preference. They, when they send her to Cardassia and she's like teaching them to conduct terrorist attacks on civilian targets you know that's pretty edgy right yeah i just there was just something about her that's whole true. like maybe it's the lovey-dovey stuff that i thought was too 
A little saccharine for me, maybe. Just oh, like with her, of... with her and Odo. Okay, I have yeah, to confess. Yeah. As, as, a, as a very partisan Niner, I I never cared about the Odo Kira shipping. Yeah, I'm with mm. you on that, actually. Yeah. 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 I thought, you know, one episode about that would have been fine. Like the one where she talks about his belt. Like he he. There's one episode where she says to him, "Hey, what happened to that belt that you used to wear?" And he and he says, "Oh, well, I mean." It's just, it's not really a belt. It's just part of me. And he says, it's not as though I really need a belt to keep my pants up because I'm not really wearing pants, right? <laughs> and, and it, but it's just a little physical detail that she noticed and he's a little flattered. And, and I thought that episode was good, but everything past that I thought was a little unnecessary. Yeah, I thought having them have just a deep, rich, trusting friendship was a great sure. relationship. Yeah. And that would have been like nice they've, to keep. They, they've basically, you know, they've, been in the trenches together right they they went they yeah. went through the the hell of the occupation and they they saw in each other like the only other person of integrity that entire time right and so there's there's a strength to that that i think would make romance impossible mm-hmm. right yeah yeah anyway i don't know uh but one thing i did want to say talking about the dax character is i had never really heard terry farrell's side of leaving at the end of season six Oh. And she really goes into detail about that. And, and you can tell that maybe the um, there's some stuff. There's still some scar tissue there, right? Because she I usually when they talk about stuff that's 20, 30, 40 years in the past, it's a little antiseptic. But she really got worked up at that point. And it was great to watch. But yeah. I, I had no idea that it was so um, – yeah, it, it hit was, her so much how sad deal. she was. Yeah. Well, it was it was a big deal, and I think even to this day, fans who hadn't heard that, like like, like until they see this documentary, for some people, or she's been more frank in some interviews too. But yeah, I think a lot of people still ask her. You know what I mean? Like they come up to her like at a convention, and they're like, "Well, why? You know, what happened? Like, why did you leave? You know, you only had one more year." And so I think I think it's still like kind of fresh in that sense that people still don't quite know mm-hmm. what happened. You know? I think. I so. mean, it looked like a lot of her castmates were actually still confused about what had happened too. Yeah. This it seems like in it that went documentary, on very, which was yeah, yeah. weird. I thought, because I mean, I've read it all kinds weird. of stuff about it so, have, and they yeah, were there. Yeah. So yeah, they were, you know, well, remember, I, actually, I mean, I think this was a backroom kind of thing where like she was pulled aside mm-hmm. and, you know, Berman, whoever else were like, make a choice. You don't really get to get bumped up, you know, in status and salary so too bad so you need to make a choice and then she did you know and it was kind of off to the side well at least that's what i seem to remember see and and, and i was heard that she'd had the chance to be on that network show becker i think it was called with ted danson yeah and that was yeah that was that's what i had heard too and that she actually decided that's my now granted that was a long time yeah that was was, she it was her decision to leave exactly well i think that's how they more money type exactly well i think that's how they i think that's how they framed it publicly but it seems like there's a little more to it than that yeah which is like other stuff completely too yeah which i think i think the becker thing was dangling out there for her as like a okay they're not letting me grow here so i'll do this but there was also a like you're Everyone else got to renegotiate their contracts for this last season, except for me. You're basically saying take it or leave it, and so I'm going to leave it. Like I don't. It was definitely like about a power position. No, and good, for, good on her that she. Yeah, I mean, honestly, look, yeah, if she's, I, I think that goes back to we were talking about that she still maybe to some degree rightfully so like felt that like you know she was sort of newer to the biz, so she had less clout, you know, and so they 
that's I think that's the way they treated her. Is like she was still this young girl who was mostly a model who had become an actress, right? Because that's how she that is how she sort of walked into season sure. one. It's true. Mm-hmm. She, she's so she, I, she's a slashy to use a Zoolander term. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so here she is, you know, six seasons later, and she's like, "Look, I'm not that way." But they still were like, "Meh, take it or leave it." Like you don't really have the juice to renegotiate, you know, the way some of the other people do. And so she was like, fine, then I'm out. You know, I think there was part, part of it was that. And I, you know, you under, you could see why. And it honestly like really sucks for the show. But like, although I did like Nikki DeBoer, I have to say, I do, I do like Esri. Like I have some, it was, it took me a while to be okay with it, but in hindsight, I don't mind it all in a rewatch. I've actually liked it just fine. And I think it's, yeah, you know, as good as you, as a situation as you can make out of it. Yeah, but, totally agree. Yeah. Nothing against her, but I, I mean, I love no, nothing Ter- against her. I love Terry's. I love Jedzia. Like I love that character. Yeah. And I think Jedzia is amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's other stuff I read and because I, I don't want to go into it cause I read it somewhere and you never know when you read one source. Is that true? But I do know that she also like put up with a lot of talk about her looks and, her yeah. boobs and stuff like that a lot when she was sure. on the show and i actually think yep. it would have been a little brave of them to give that a little space and time i mean maybe fans don't want to hear it and i understand why but i think it's important to sort of share that she was also dealing with that behind yeah. the scenes you know she well, had to deal you, with a lot of stuff yeah. well you know who's not afraid to say that kind of stuff is uh Kate Mulgrew will tell you that they were way too concerned with like her boobs and her hair and stuff in the beginning. Yeah. Does she look right? And it's like, see, look, look, Kate can tell you this stuff. I think this, I think Terry, if that was true, like she should feel, I hope she feels free to say it at this point too. You know? See, but Kate like, Mulgrew also had the soul and the confidence of a 40 year old woman when she was 12 years old is kind of the, Oh, totally. That I yeah. But I just mean like, you know, years, on, years on now, you, you can feel freer to say something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hope so. Anyway, you know, she I might. I mean, she it. might not. I mean, I've read it as quotes from her. You know, it's all interview bites. Yeah, and stuff I don't like remember. That. Yeah. So, yeah. but I remember seeing a lot of that, and then also she had said. I mean, what what I read was interviews with her saying that she had wanted to work fewer hours, given that they had all of these. Mm-hmm. cast members and that where yep. other actors had been given time to go pursue other projects and come back and they worked out schedules that they came to her oh yeah yep that was another, i do remember that yeah so again see like she just didn't have the cloud or whatever to kind of push back like some of these other people did it seems like they just weren't willing to do it right so that's unfortunate it's really unfortunate uh, one thing i appreciate is they talk about how because i i kind of disagree with with the assessment that the the Dex character was great right from the start, because if you look at the first season or two, she's kind of very serene, right? And then by mm-hmm. like season end of season two, beginning season three, and they mentioned this, someone said to her, "Why don't you play Dex a little bit more roguish, right? Where she's got more of a sense of humor, and we see like her playing cards with the Ferengi rather than like doing that weird meditation exercise that she does in the second episode to try to show like how smart she is. And and I think once she started, mm. once the character got started written to be a little bit more roguish, that's when I think it fit her a lot better. And that's when when she as an actress started to take off is when the they figured when the writers figured out what to do with the character a little better. And so it was fun to see them talk about that because that's always something that had kind of been in the back of the, my, my mind. And then they articulated it so well. Hmm. Yeah. Now it makes me want to go back and rewatch some of season yeah. one and two and be like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, I yeah. like those early seasons myself. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, not, I was going to say. And I liked, we should, we should, I also liked when she talked about being thing. called old man in the documentary. Like, yeah. that oh, was a yeah, nice little right. section, I too. I that. really enjoyed that, where she talked, yeah. like, uh, just her, her sort of struggle with it, <laughs> which was, I thought, fun to hear yeah. about. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That was that was cute. Yeah, I like now, that Now, one thing, in terms of, in terms of, I'm sorry, Matt, you mentioned that maybe the, the producers figured she didn't have a lot of clout. At this point, Terry Farrell has more clout than anyone else who was on Deep Space Nine. Because when you when you go to Vegas and they do a Deep Space Nine panel, all the the cast they get up there and they talk and people clap and then they go down and they sign autographs and they're there for however long. And then Terry Farrell comes back the next day to sign all the autographs she couldn't get to because she is easily <laughs> the most popular member of that show. I think I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think I think people really latched on to Dax. It's true. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and my analysis of it is I think Dax Jedzia Dax is a TNG character on Deep Space Nine, right? I think she fits sort of that model of the way because she's not as broken as as Kira or Cisco or Quark or whoever. And I uh, uh, once they get to Esri, she's the one who has a little bit more of the shortcomings. And so I actually I might be the only person in the galaxy. I actually prefer the Esri character to the Jedzia character. And in that season during season seven, I said, oh, that's what this character should have been all along. I recognize I'm in the t- a tiny minority in that, but I, I do really like the way that they, they wrote the Esri character. And I think my analysis is why one of the reasons why Jedzia is so popular. Mm. Well, no, Nikki DeBoer would love to. Yeah, hear and that. I, I would love to tell her. <laughs> and I thought, look, I thought Nikki DeBoer was great, and I thought Esri was a was a good character and a very different way of looking at that same kind of um, conflict you you'd have as the you know an alien and a and a host together. But what I loved about Jadzia Dax was that she it gave her this rock solid foundation, and she was a young woman. With who was mm-hmm. strong and solid and wasn't that insecure, nervous, vulnerable person? Sure. Oh, and oh, okay. That okay. was incredibly yeah. refreshing to me, especially. I mean, think about it. Like Star Trek, we had original series which had women in the background primarily, or like hot guest stars. Mm-hmm. Next Generation, I love those characters, but it was the Doctor and the therapist, and mm-hmm. so it really. Deep Space Nine was was revolutionary. Because we weren't at Voyager yeah, yet. For sure. And we had, so one who was like a strong military woman who also had a very strong faith. And that was a really interesting thing to explore. But with Dax, yeah. we had someone, she walked around and when, when men said creepy things, she actually just laughed at them. Like she just thought they were oh, ridiculous. Yeah. And it was unusual she for her. She didn't suffer the fools so she, But she didn't have yeah. to threaten them. And she, she had this whole other nope. view as yeah. someone who was so far advanced well, like, and so far beyond like it. Julian being little obnoxious Julian, which they also touched on that like he was super obnoxious was in the beginning. He creepy. Yeah, he got yeah. better. He was a little creep in the beginning. He was. Yeah. He was. Uh-huh. As a doctor, he was. As a doctor, that's an especially unpleasant quality. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't want your doctor to creep you yeah. out. No yeah. way. Yeah. So now, as, as you can tell, there's a lot of material here. We've just sort of dipped our, our toe in it. We, we could have filled a whole hour with this or longer, but the Lower Decks and the Picard stuff was really important. So please take this as just a, a taste of what we left behind, and I hope that you all get a chance to check it out at your earliest opportunity. Anyway, so that's episode 66 of the Shuttlepod, and this is the, the four of us signing out. Bye, everybody. Good night. Bye, everybody.